Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Psalm 109 and reading for our text, verse 22. Particularly the last part of this text. Verse 22, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Particularly this word, my heart is wounded within me. This is a psalm of David. It is also a messianic psalm. And the verse that we have read speaks of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Those wounds that he endured. We read in verse 8 a verse that was quoted by the Apostles. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Who is that speaking of? That is speaking of Judas Iscariot and all that is spoken so severely against that man in the psalm. We can clearly see in Acts chapter 1 and verse 20 where the Apostle says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and let his bishopric let another take. And that is his office. And so they appointed Matthias in the place of Judas Iscariot. And so we know these psalms and and many of the psalms, they speak of our Lord Jesus Christ. But they also speak of the people of God and the experience that they also go through. And it is in that way, joining together the path of our Lord and the path of his people that I desire to speak to you this evening from this word for I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. So I want to speak firstly of our Lord, our Lord wounded for our transgressions and then secondly a wounded people and then thirdly the healing of a wounded people. Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, he says of our Lord that he humbled himself, that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Now the text says, For I am poor and needy. The Lord literally was born to very poor parents, as known by the offerings that they offered when he was first brought into the temple. But apart from that literal poverty, he humbled himself so as to say, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his hand. Our Lord Jesus Christ, made of a woman and made under the law to redeem them that were under the law 
very clearly did not come, though he is set forth rightly as the king of Israel. Thou art the king of Israel. Those that saw his Godhead through his manhood, they could see that. But he did not come as an earthly king. He did not come as one that many expected. And so many were offended at him. And yet he came to be one with his people and to come into their place and their station and their position. We read then of his heart wounded within him. And we think of the other prophecies that speak of these wounds of our Lord. Isaiah 53 Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. This is pointing so clearly to the Lord and this passage in Isaiah was preached by Philip to the eunuch clearly showing that this is the Lord it is a beautiful gospel passage of the sufferings of our Lord not just as the wounds in his hands which we read of in Zechariah but we read of that which is as in our text in the heart my heart is wounded. That's where the Lord felt the keenest wounds, not those produced by the nails and the soldiers, but that wound that he had in the house of his friends and that which was wounded by justice and that which God hid his face from him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Of course, when we speak of the heart, we are not thinking of the muscle that pumps the blood around us, but our very being, our inmost being, what we really are, our thoughts, our affections, our feelings, they are those things that really drive us, motivate us, is not just in the mind, though it does comprehend the mind, but it does not need to be consciously uh, thought to be really felt and pained. And we can quite often know the reality of heart things by that trade. We don't have to think or work up these things but it just comes as an arrow and comes as a pain and it comes as an inward wound that is, is, is felt really within we read in Psalm 69 also of the sufferings of our Lord in verse 26 will they persecute him whom thou hast smitten, 
and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. The Lord Jesus Christ came as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It was that very point that our Lord spoke to the two on the way to Emmaus. They said, we trusted it should have been him that should have redeemed Israel. And our Lord's answer was, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And our Lord drew their attention to all of these scriptures, these scriptures, these portions concerning himself in all the scriptures. We read in Psalm 129, the plowers uh, may deep their furrows upon my back. We read in Psalm uh, 69 of many of the marks and evidences of the crucifixion and also Psalm 22. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered, was wounded, his hands, his feet, his side, his head, his back, literally, but wounded in heart. We read the first effects of the sin that was laid upon him, as laid upon him the iniquity of us all, as in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat great drops of blood, dropping down to the ground, sore amazed at that weight that was laid upon him. And it is the sufferings of our Lord being truly man and truly God that mark out the reality of what sin is and the Lord bearing that sin and feeling the weight of that sin and feeling the effect of how his father must hide his face from that sin and hate sin. He had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when we look at this verse, may we think of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ upon the cross and enduring the wrath of God and being wounded for sins that are not his own, wounded in his heart. For I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. I want to then look secondly at a wounded people wounded people. No, by nature we are not troubled about sin. Sin has profoundly affected us. It profoundly works in us. But man does not want to hear or know about it. He's not troubled by it. He's not wounded by it. He needs that he be wounded before he can be healed. One of our hymns says, Nor are men willing to have the truth told. The sight is too killing for pride to behold. Yet Isaiah says that 
that we are full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, is no part sound nor healthy. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and part of of its deceit is to cover over sin, to minimise it, to make out that it's not really so bad, and to counter the word of God comes in like Satan did, hath God said, and undermines it to make it be a small thing, a little thing. We need to understand and realise that that the natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And the great part of it is that he doesn't know the malady, won't face up to the malady. He doesn't feel uh, the wounds of sin. He doesn't feel or know any need of healing. He is whole. But here is a different expression. I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. The sense of sin by this soul has made them feel not high, mighty and proud, but has laid them low in the dust and low made them poor. Nebuchadnezzar once had a dream, but he couldn't remember what that dream was. And his wise men could not tell him what the dream was and they couldn't tell the interpretation. But they thought if only the king could tell them the dream, then they'd be able to interpret it. But the king said, No, you have prepared for me lying words. If he was to tell them the dream, they'd make up the interpretation, probably for a long time, till the times were changed, says the king, and then he would forget or it wouldn't be found out that actually their interpretation was wrong. But he said to them, you show me the dream and I'll know that you can tell me the interpretation thereof. And all thought that that is a very vivid illustration of what is so vitally needed in salvation. It takes the same God to reveal our sin and the malady and to make a soul to be a true wounded soul over sin, to be the same God that heals that soul. The Lord must must do both. And in that there's a real token. Remember Daniel, he did tell the dream to the king. The king then knew that what Daniel was to then tell him concerning the interpretation was right and real. And so when the Lord works in the hearts of his people and convinces of sin, when he brings them to be wounded because of their own sins, and brings them to need a saviour, need a redeemer. 
then it is a real evidence of his work. It seems an opposite thing. It doesn't seem to be a right way, and especially to those who feel it, because it is found, it is real. How many times have we perhaps read in the Word of God about the Lord's blessing on sinners, and you've come in prayer and said, but Lord, my sins are real sins. They are really things I have done and said, and how my heart is working. As if we feel that our case is different than any other case. Because we have read about the other cases, but now our case, we're feeling about it, and we're pained about it, and there's the reality about it that is actually in our heart. It touches our heart. How does the Lord bring about that wounding? We read in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And the Lord is a friend of his people. And he will bring them to the truth and make them know the truth, hear the truth. It applies not just at the beginning, but along the way for restoring a backsliding soul too. We think of David when he backslid, committed adultery and murder. You wonder how it was that he kept on going. He still went into the house of God, but not living close to the Lord. But then the Lord kindly sent him Nathan. And through Nathan, he was brought to see his sin in the light of someone else. And then the word, thou art the man, or I have sinned. And then immediately the Lord hath also put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. But the conviction of the sin was very necessary first. It was a vital thing. Today, people don't want to hear about sin. There are churches that tell their ministers or those that visit that they don't want to know about sin. They don't want to be told about hell that awaits all outside of Christ. They don't want to be told that they are not good people. But it's only in that way that they shall ever really know the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, or ever have any fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ at all. In the Song of Solomon, the Spouse, the church, was pictured there. And she says that the watchmen that went about the city, they found me, they wounded me. Sometimes the Lord uses this, and I say sometimes, many times he does, through the ministry. The word finds the people out. They fall under that word, under conviction of sin. The Lord speaks through his servants. It will please God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And the words come like arrows. They find their mark. And it brings down and brings 
to bow before the Lord. The Lord knows how to bring a soul down. Paul says the law is a schoolmaster unto Christ. By the law is the knowledge of sin. The law entered that sin might abound. And he says of himself, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And that which was ordained unto life, he found to be unto death. Wounded, the law finding its mark, bringing him in as guilty, bringing him in as a sinner. Conscience, the Lord uses conscience. We think of how Joseph dealt with his brothers 20 years after they had sold him. They come into Egypt and Joseph knows them and they do not know him. But his first dealings with them are designed to bring them to remember their guilt and what they did to him. And it was very effective. They didn't know Joseph could understand them. But as he dealt with them, Then they spake one to another and said that we did not listen to his cries. We did not hear him. And the Lord is requiting us because of the evil that we did to our brother. And all of those past sins were brought up by things that they now were passing through. And the Lord uses that. Things that are brought into our lives adversaries, afflictions, trials. We being dealt with in the same way as what we've dealt with others. Things that bring our sin to remembrance. Remember when Elijah first was at the brook and then he went to Zarephath, the upper room of the widow's house. Many miracles Crews of oil didn't fail, the meal didn't waste, but that woman didn't believe. But then her son died, and she said, Out there come to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son. And Elijah takes the son up to his room and prays to the Lord, and the Lord gives him the life of the son back. Then the woman says, Now I know that thou art a prophet. The word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. The Lord used such things as that to bring sin to remembrance. Many that came to the Lord in the days of his flesh came because of afflictions. We've sung of it. The woman pressing through the crowd, the man with the son that cast himself into the fire and into the water. They came because of things that were brought into their lives. And those things the Lord sanctifies and makes to work for good. They don't automatically, 
There's many in the world that have these things and it makes them angry against God, makes them fight against Him, makes them resist Him. Because they don't know their own evil heart, they feel the Lord has not been just. They've been good people. They've done right things. And the Lord hasn't rewarded them rightly. They deserve much better at His hand. But one that is wounded, they feel very, very differently. They feel the Lord is just in what he has done. And the thoughts of their sin pain them. And every thought of those things they've done and they've said come as sharp arrows into their soul. You think of Psalm 25 and it speaks of the sins of the youth. Verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. And part of that teaching is to convince of sin, to convict of sin, to bring in guilty. Sometimes it is men no part of Job's trials wasn't all that came upon him in providence, but it was his friends that came and they tried to lay upon him things that were not right. But then it stirred up with him things that you might say were real sins, his own sins. The charge against his friends was at the end. Uh, God said that they had condemned him but had not convinced him. They hadn't been able to show him wherein he was wrong. And yet God overruled it for good. Sometimes we may be accused of things that we haven't done at all. And yet those very accusations are used by God to bring to our remembrance things that are true, that we have done. And that then stops our mouth and humbles us in the dust, and we think of those that speak against us, well, what you're speaking is wrong, but if you knew me truly and knew what is in my heart and knew what sins I've done, you'd have a lot, lot more to say, and that would be true too. The Lord knows how to make that wound, to be a wound that we cannot escape and plaster over, and just make out it is all right. It's not like those who may have an imagined illness and they're given a pill for it, but unknown to them, it's just a bread pill. There's no healing in it at all. Mind over matter, they heal and they're healed. But those who are wounded by the Lord need a true healing. They need that which does really touch the case. The woman with the issue of blood had tried many things for 12 years to touch her case and nothing did until she came and touched the hem of our Lord. Sin is a real thing. We are sinners and we sin constantly and it needs the almighty work of God to bring us in as guilty before his throne. Sinners can say, and none but they, how precious is the Saviour. <clears throat> it is a preparation work, a needful work, 
How deep should that conviction be? As deep as needed to make us need the Saviour. How long should it be? Known only to the sovereignty of God. Some are held long under the law and under conviction of sin, of darkness and condemnation. And others a short time. And they're delivered and brought out of it. But it will be an uncomfortable place. If we have true conviction of sin, we will not easily be able to sit on our seat week after week, service by service, and not receive anything. It will cause a lot of prayer and anxiousness and concern to go home, service after service, still with sin there, still untouched, still as a sinner, still under condemnation, still guilty, no change. And that will exercise the soul, burden the soul, cause many thoughts, am I really one of the Lord? Is my conviction a real conviction? Is it really God preparing me for a blessing? Or is it just conscience only is it really the special work of God or is it just like others in the world feel as well our soul is exercised with so many thoughts and feelings and these are turned into prayers and cries and groans to the Lord and the Lord knows how then to wound a soul and it cannot be touched by men, by ministers, by family, by those who try to reassure us and try to speak good to us, even those that try to point us to the Saviour, until the Lord sends the heal, the healing is not done. It is very evident in the Lord's miracles on earth that until the Lord wrought it, it was not done. Even before our Lord, we think of the Shunammite woman where her son died. And Elisha, he sent his servant with the staff. No good, that did not help at all. Only the Lord could revive that son and bring him to life again. We mentioned of the one that was cast his son cast into the fire and the water. He comes to the Lord when he came down from his mount and they, he said this, I brought him to thy disciples. But they couldn't cast him out. They couldn't do it. The woman that cried at last to the Lord came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. The disciples had said, she crieth after us, send her away. They couldn't help her. They couldn't meet those wounds, tend those wounds. And this then is the mark of God's word when men, even ministers of the gospel, even those with the best intentions of trying to bring to the remedy, and a true remedy at that, are not effectual because it must be God's work. It's God's work to wound, and it's God's work 
to heal again. When I say this, we, if we would be a seeker after the Lord, don't seek being wounded or seek to know our sins. If we are mindful that we need a Saviour, seek the Saviour. I feel some, their eyes are from the Saviour and they really want to govern their own experience. They might read the experience of others and they see the need of conviction of sin. So they ask for that and they look for that. Let the Lord manage that. Let the Lord determine how he'll deal with you, how he'll deal with me, how he'll teach us that he will convince of sin is certain. But in what measure, what way, leave that to him. May we have our eyes upon him and him alone but especially if we are wounded from sin, then there is a remedy. There is a way of escape. There is hope for such. And it needs to be said, because those that are truly wounded feel that there is not hope. You can tell them all you like, that, well, it is God's work to convince. And I'll say, yes, but you do not know my heart. As water, as in face, water face answereth the face, so the heart of man to man. He fashioneth all their hearts alike. The Apostle Paul says, I am the chief of sinners, and that he found mercy that none might despair. And so there is hope in those who are brought like thee, Publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And he beat upon his breast. That's where the trouble was and that's where the malady was. That's where the sore was. That's where the wound was. A wounded people. Wounded enough to prepare the way for the gospel. Wounded enough for when the Lord heals, they shall know it is the Lord's work and not man's work. Gideon had his army made very low so that he did not say his own goodness or his own might and power had got the victory. And so the Lord, if he's to give his people a true token, brings them first to know what we read in Romans 8. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the 
flesh, but after the Spirit. I want to look then lastly at the healing of a wounded soul. In Jeremiah 30, we read from verse 12, the Lord saying of Israel, and really spiritual Israel, Thus saith the Lord, thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. That is true. By nature, that is what it is, except the provision in the Lord. Sin cannot be cured, remedied in any way but the Lord's way. There is none to plead thy cause that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing remedy, healing medicines. No, there is not. But in the provision of the gospel, there is the Lord Jesus Christ to plead the cause of his people. All thy lovers have forgotten thee, they seek thee not. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. Therefore all they that devour thee shall be devoured. All thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. They that spoil thee shall be a spoil, and all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. Then we read these beautiful words added to that. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast saying, This is Zion, or the church of God, whom no man seeketh after. There is the gospel that is preached in these Old Testament books, setting forth the salvation of the Lord. We have another in Isaiah 30, and verse 26. Moreover, and this is pointing to Calvary, what was done there as the sun was darkened. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. And the Lord will do that. What he has done at Calvary has paved the way for that. On the the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ put away sin, the sins of his people by the sacrifice of himself. That which he endured, he endured for his people. That which was laid upon him was the iniquity of all of his dear people. Those from the beginning of time to the end of time, all that ever lived, were all laid on the Lord Jesus Christ there at Calvary. But that debt that is paid, that endured by the Lord, 
must then be conveyed in experience to the people of God. And this is the intercession of our Lord in heaven. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and then lead to Jesus' precious blood. He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. There is a set time to favour Zion. Yea, the set time is come. We said about the same work of God, the same spirit that convicts. And it all flows from Calvary. It all flows from a work that has been done there. And from a love that is an everlasting love. And from a work that the Lord, once he begins, he finishes it. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Which one of us will say, will you you say when? When the Lord begins. How does the Lord begin? Every one of his people may be in a different way, different time, different place. But once the Lord begins, first thing he'll do is pass by and bid live. Give spiritual life. That is the very first beginning. We can authoritatively say that that will be the same for every one of God's children that he will give them spiritual life. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of mine hand. When that life is received, they have new eyes, new ears, new feelings. It paves the way for them to be convicted of sin, paves the way for them to desire the things of God, gives them that hearing ear. In Revelation we have again and again, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so that remedy, the remedy that is to be brought, it is conveyed by the Spirit in revealing what Christ has done on Calvary with a power, a savour and an unction that only God can give. He chooses the words that he may apply to his people and he heals those wounds of sin. He takes away the guilt. He takes away the condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. It is the Spirit that shows the debt being paid at Calvary that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ before that sinner. Remember in the wilderness, there was sin bitten, bitten by the serpents. Moses was commanded to lift up a serpent in the likeness of those who was biting them. And those that looked, they lived Even those that looked from afar off only saw the glint of it, they still lived. And our Lord says in John 6, John 3, that even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him and be in bitterness for him. And it is in this way, God taking the things of the gospel, 
the Holy Spirit applying them, blessing them, not man's reason, not applying them to himself, not convincing himself, but the same as the work was done, you might say imperceptibly, but the effect was felt in the heart of wounding, so the work of healing is done through the word and you might look at the word and you say, well, well, how has that had such an effect? But it's what the Lord makes it and it may only be one word. It may be a verse, maybe several verses. The Lord bringing the word, sending the word, a healing word. He spake and it was done. That's how the world was formed in the beginning. And really that is how it is with a convinced sinner. Arrest that man. Convince that man. That woman. That child. And then the blessing is just as much his command and his work. If you're a wounded soul, wait upon the Lord. Attend the ministry of the word and expect that the Lord will in his time and his way bless that to you and speak to you. One of the hymns, the last lines of it, when and where and by what means to his wisdom leaving. Remember, when under conviction of sin those lines followed me for a long while. It was a ray of hope the Lord would appear, and he did appear. Salvation is of the Lord. Dear Jonah, in the midst of thee, whale's belly tossed to and fro in darkness, could have had no expectation of deliverance from himself or from man or from any. And yet as he cried unto the Lord in that dark place, you do that, dear soul, of you in that dark place. The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited him out on dry land. The Lord spake, and it was done. We never guess, never anticipate how the Lord will deliver his people, but he will deliver them, and he knows how to do it. And when he does it, they are delivered, they are set free. The children of Israel in Egypt must have thought after nine signs that had just devastated that whole land that there was nothing that the Lord could do to make the Egyptians let them go. Yet the Lord knew what he was doing. And the Lord brought the one sign, brought the blood, brought the Passover, and immediately they were thrust out. They went out with a high hand. It wasn't uncertain. It was a clear deliverance. And that's what the Lord would do for his people. Healing them. He had laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. All unrighteousness is the Lord's work. We are to wait upon the posts of his doors. We can be looking unto him even from the ends of the earth. 
We are to come to him who alone can heal. Look to the one that has smitten us, the one that has convicted us, the one that has brought us in guilty, and to look to him that he'll heal those festering wounds of sin and that he'll show us himself made sin for us. This is the experience then, the people of God, but also their Lord. And it brings to sweet fellowship with him and to realise something of the sufferings of our Lord that can never be understood any other way. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. But when we look upon the Lord and we see that reflection, and we see that in this psalm, this is speaking of him, but speaking of a convicted and wounded soul too. And this is done, this is done to heal those wounded souls. The Lord speak his word to you. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He had laid on him the iniquity of us all, wounded for our transgressions. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.